0: Good morning. Want to greet each one in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. So what do you talk about on Mother's Day? Mothers. But today I I don't want to just focus on that. I I'm titling my message this morning Biblical Femininity. I'm using big words. Sorry. I don't even I didn't even know how to spell that. I had to And if I fumble on the words this morning, it's because I'm not used to using them, but I don't know what other words to use. But what does it mean to be a woman as God designed you? We are living in strange times. And I believe it's because we're living in the end times that people either don't know the answer or they refuse. I think most times they refuse. I think God has put in most of us a basic knowledge of what a man and what a woman is, and yet we have people claiming they they can't answer that or the answer they give is such befuddled gobbledygook that you get done and you're not sure what they said. For 6,000 years... Humans had, I believe, very little difficulty identifying what a man and what the differences were between men and women. And yet today, they seem to struggle with that. Why is that? And I think it's because of the rejection and denial of God. And so, what's key to not being sucked into the confusion that we see today in the world, I believe, is to go back to God's Word and study and see what it means to be a biblical woman, what it means to be a biblical man. And only by that study can we avoid what we see going on around us. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, I'm going to begin at verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged man be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of this of the contrary part, may be ashamed, having no evil thing to save you. (coughs) Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So, if you were to read this passage on most street corners in large cities in the U.S. today, what kind of response would you get? Would you get someone nodding along to that? Or would you get a shocked look, can't believe you said those things, that's not true? What are you, some old fogey? And yet, this is the biblical description of what men and women are, what biblical men and women are. Can you really tell a woman to, that it's better to stay at home, to raise children? You may wonder why I have this can of green beans here on the, of the counter, or on the, the pulpit here. Um, I'm not going to say that being a biblical woman means that you can a hundred quarts of a hundred jars hundred quarts a year or anything like that. I'm actually going to let you think about it and try to think of what I might use this for for an object lesson. I will explain it at the end of the message, but there is benefit there is godliness in the women. Taking care of the household, we see that at different places in scripture, but that in and of itself does not make you a biblical woman. How clean your house is doesn't make you a godly woman. What's the saying? Can someone say it? Yes. <laughs> that in Hezekiah one three right? <laughs> no. Uh, those are all important things to keep a clean home, to provide for your families. But that in and of itself does not make you a godly woman. I wasn't around 100 years ago. I don't think there's anyone here that was, but I would say that by looking at pictures and reading history, the how we got where we are today with transgenderism and the rejection of a biblical woman and a biblical man appears to have started somewhere around 100 years ago. And there are different signposts along the way that you could say well here was a turning another turning point for moving away from godly womanhood but yet i believe it started quite a few years ago and i think it's good to understand that that it hasn't just started 5 years ago 10 years ago and thinking that if we just moved back to where we were 10 years ago where the where the culture around us was 10 or 20 years ago, then we were biblical, then we're okay. This started generations ago to slowly move away from what is biblical and what is godly. One of the things I think that began that move away from godly womanhood was you start seeing uh, the women dressing less feminine and more masculine No, clothes won't save you, but there is a biblical command. Deuteronomy 22, five says, A woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord. I looked into this a little bit, and someone said that often when you hear the word abomination, it's referring to something that the nations around Israel did, which I found interesting. So obviously... When a culture, when a nation moves away from what God designed, it leads to the things that we've been seeing in our nation, in many nations, especially in the Western culture, for the last hundred years. Um, you, you may look back and uh, there's paintings or whatever, they weren't videos, they weren't photographs. A thousand, two thousand years ago, dress has changed. Um, someone said, Well, you know, the way people dressed, you know, around the time of Christ, today we would say, Well, that's wrong for a man to dress like that. Or maybe we say, Well, they didn't seem to have that many dis- distinctions between them, but yet there obviously were distinctions that when they walked down the street, they could look at a person and immediately know whether they're wearing feminine garb or masculine garb. Even though it's different than what we do today, there was differences. Why is that important? Well, it's one of the things that we're struggling with right now in our culture is this claim that men and women aren't aren't, aren't that different that they're the same that women can have feminine or masculine traits, and men can have feminine traits, and the more we mix, mix, mix and match, the better we are, and yet God warned already back with the children of Israel that this is dangerous. We have to be careful to distinguish between men and women, not, not just in roles, not just in um, a lot of basic things, but also in dress. There, should, there are differences. A message I listened to online recently was talking more about men being effeminate, which means having uh, what we think of as feminine traits. And sometime I do want to have a message for the men, but today I'm going to focus on the women. But one thing they talked about and I think it's true is coming in, is I call it the the skinny jean trend. The the trend for men, even in churches, even leaders of churches, to be dressing more in a way that is more the way we think of women dressing. Styling their hair more like women. Having long hair has become quite popular in the last 50 years, maybe longer than that. We have to be careful that we don't just go, oh, it's no big deal. We know the difference. It doesn't really matter. But those things affect us internally, not, ex- not just externally. And it's important that we men... I'm going to use this phrase this morning. I think we all understand it. We men need to stay in our lane when it comes to dress, um, actions, characteristics. Now this doesn't mean that we men can't learn anything from our wives. I I would say you're a foolish man if you married a good Christian woman and you learn nothing from her as far as to be more loving, more compassionate, those things that our wives are naturally more gifted in. But if we try to emulate our wife in every area, we'll most likely lose the godly traits of manhood. Now I'm going to flip it back. We're talking, I'm talking about women today. For you women, there are things that we men are strong in and it's not, it doesn't mean that it's wrong for you not to, on the flip side, to learn from us, to get better at things that you're not more necessarily natural at. But it shouldn't be your desire to be like men. And yet we see a lot of women today trying to be men. The pop culture, I don't recommend at all. I, I can't. I can't stand these. These. Marvel movies and all this stuff, I hear people talking about it, I have no interest in it. But you see them trying to push the idea that women can take the place, take on roles that men have done in the past. It's not normal. It's not the way God set it up. And a lot of women today, if they heard what I'm saying right now, would be very offended by what I'm saying. Why is that? They feel it's a put-down if I say that they can't do everything a man can do. But if we look at it, step back and look at it from the way God looks at it, it's not that you're less for having different different gifts and different things that you're naturally better at than a man, it does not make you less. And yet that's often the way it's looked at. I was thinking uh, after I got here to church this morning, I just scribbled this note in, but the old saying, behind every great man is a great woman. I believe that I have that phrase right. But today we see women trying to be great, trying to be powerful. We see we see. Women taking on the roles of CEOs and high up in corporate world. So is the saying true in the other way? Behind every great woman is a great man? I would say you often see behind every great woman. I'm saying this in quotes, quotation marks, with the world, the way the world looks at it. Most times, behind every great woman is an effeminate man. And so it... It goes hand in hand. When the women get out of their lane, the men tend to get out of theirs and not do what God called them to do. Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. I'm taking a lot longer at this than I expected. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. Wherefore also God gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, why is, are the women in our culture around us right now struggling to understand what, how God created them, what God created them to be? And I believe it's because the culture is telling them to take on unnatural desires, to take on unnatural roles. Um, We're seeing more and more, I don't know if you've thought about it, but we're seeing more and more women being police officers. And I think that's not a bad thing for a woman to be on a police force um, in certain roles, especially you get a, an abuse situation. It can be really good to have a woman there, depending on what the crime is and what's going on. But to me, it is laughable to have a police woman out doing road duty, pulling people over. How many videos have you seen of a woman police officer pulling over a hardened male criminal and he goes, I've got my opportunity. I can overpower her. I can outrun her. Whatever it is. And there's a video sometime in the last year or two where some local citizens actually had to step in and help the police woman out because she could not handle the man who she had pulled over. Why are women desiring to go into these roles? Why are women desiring to go into the military? I I knew it had there was something in Congress. I had to look it up. It was two years a year and a half ago the US House approved to require women to register in the draft. Now, as far as I could tell, it has not been gone through the Senate and has not been signed into law. But this push to have women in fighting roles in the military and police forces and many other jobs that they are not naturally gifted in. It's not how God made them. Why are women desiring that which is unnatural? And I think it's this rejection of God and a rejection of biblical principles. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a passage on the headship. And we often think of 1 Corinthians 11 and talking about the women's head covering but just as important as that is the order of headship. Verse 3 But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesy with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. And then it goes on, verse 10 For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God? Uncovered. We live in a world now today where it is not considered uncomely for a woman to pray uncovered, and yet a hundred years ago, almost every Protestant denomination practiced some form of head covering for women, at least in, in in church services. So I believe, as the church has gone away from the headship, the the prayer veiling they've also lost the understanding of the headship order. And this has led to women, Christian women, struggling to understand biblical femininity. Maybe some of us this morning have been influenced by the world and we think it's not a big deal. It's possible to, they say, well, it's possible to to believe in headship order without the prayer veiling, but I challenge you to, to look around, and for those who have thrown away the head covering, how quickly it appears that they also lose the headship order. I believe God put the, that there for multiple reasons, but one of them is that, just as it says, it gives power, the power of angels on women. I believe God's grace is there for women to stay in their lane much easier when they follow the biblical command. But the men also have to follow the biblical order of headship because they have their proper place also and it's easy for men to get out of their lane. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The, The idea of the the headship covering helping us to stay biblical when it comes to the, the headship order, to me it's just like you, someone can say, well, I can have ungodly friends. I can associate with lots of ungodly people. But how much easier is it to not fall into sin if we avoid a lot of ungodly friendships? No, this doesn't mean we don't befriend someone who isn't a believer to lead them to Christ. But just as it's so easy by being around those who do ungodly things, when we drop off things that God has commanded and put there to help us, it's much more likely that we will fail in other areas. 1 Timothy 2, I want to read that also. 1 Timothy 2, beginning at verse 9. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp her authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Here's another passage that if you read on any typical street corner in America, there would be shock and disgust. And yet, when we want to understand what biblical femininity is, we learn here that... God has placed women in certain roles, called them to certain things. And when women, Christian women, get out of this p- p- role and place, then they, there's, there's a confusion. There's a turning away from biblical, from godliness. You may say, well, this passage... This whole thing about women being silenced. It's a very controversial subject today in churches. There are churches that aren't Mennonite that practice just as we are, and then there are others many others that just cannot agree with this passage. Or some may say, well, that's just the King James that makes it sound like that. But I also want to read it in the ESV. It says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Once again, much newer translation. But still, it's not permitting a woman to be in a leadership role in a church. She is to remain quiet. This is hard. I understand this is hard for some women to do, to to remain quiet but it is what God has called you to. Does this mean then that as husbands we can lord our authority over our wives? I think we all know the answer to that. We are not to do that at all. It's it's very clear that the headship thing here we are to lead. So it talks here about Eve sinning first. I don't want you to come away with the idea that God put all the blame on Eve. I think we have to read 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 all these verses to understand it. Why did Eve fall? It, it appears that first Adam was outside of his role, out of sight of his lane, not leading her the way he should have, not guiding her, not supporting her. So it led to sin. So if Adam had been in his place, and even hers, would they not have fallen at this point? It's possible, but I believe sin would have entered the world at some point. Even if Adam hadn't sinned, I think each one of you and I would have. We're fallen creatures who struggle with sin, because we're not God, we're not perfect. But understanding, if we put ourselves under God's authority, the men under Christ, the wives under their husbands, there's going to be much less struggle with sin and confusion of what God has called us to. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints." One of the reasons that I believe that women and men struggle with being what God has called them to be is because maybe their spouse, maybe parents, grandparents did not quite live up to what they should have done. And so there's confusion, there's struggles with being biblical. And so we are called as believers whether you're single this morning, widowed whatever your place is this morning, you can encourage those around you to live up to what God has called them to be. Part of that is living biblical yourself. For for women, living out biblical femininity in a way that honors God and encourages other believers in the church. The reason I brought this jar up this morning is you know the joke where, the, where if a wife wants to encourage her husband, what does she do? Do you, wives here, ever, mothers here, ever take the jars to your husband or sons and let them show their strength by opening a jar? That's funny, right? But there's a lot of biblical truth in that, that to be a biblical uh, mother, wife, grandmother, encourage the men around you to be leaders, to be godly, to walk with God. And it'll go a long way in strengthening your own relationship with God. Some, some people might think, I want to also challenge you this morning before I close. As far as being a good mother, being a good wife. Paul Washer says it is impossible to be a good mother while not being a good wife. Those things go hand in hand. And I also think when you flip that around, is it possible to be a good wife and yet not a good mother? maybe for a little bit. But it's important that you build those relationships with both your husband and your children, with your family, so that you can point people to Christ by your godly example. The Lord bless each one of you.